Hi, and welcome to another episode of Speaking of Signify. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. I hope you're enjoying these, by the way. I'm really enjoying the conversations. I have really enjoyed the conversations because I've recorded them already. But I hope you're enjoying them because you're about to listen to one now. And I hope you're also getting to know more about the world leader in lighting and the people running the show, because that's what these are about. Now, this episode, I speak to Marjoline Wachemans, Signify's Chief Privacy Officer. And Marjoline explains to me how important data security and data ethics are for Signify. We also find out a bit about the philosophical underpinnings of her work, learn a bit about her background in law, and I also find out what musical instrument she picked back up during quarantine. We had a lovely chat, and I think you'll enjoy it too, so let's now go to my conversation with Marjoline. What does a chief privacy officer do? An interesting, uh, interesting question. I think it sums up with supporting the business in any way, shape or form that they uh, desire and require, but focusing on data protection and especially the protection of our privacy data. So in short, I'm advising the business on their compliance programs. I'm checking with them the maturity levels of their compliance. Um, and assist also still in practical stuff like negotiations, risk assessments, uh, balancing out risk, and supporting, of course, my team with privacy officers who are assessing each initiative on the potential impact uh, of the initiative towards the privacy rights of individuals. That's quite a quite a suite of things that you have to deal with. So how does the how do the priorities shake out? Like what is the, um, so, so maybe the, the question I want to ask is, so how do you go about in the grand scheme of things, ensuring that we have a robust privacy structure in shape? Yeah, I think in the, in the greater scheme of things, it's uh, on a regular basis checking the status of our global privacy program, effectively looking at all the controls that we've set as part of that program, if it's policies, if it's procedures, if it's transparency, um, all with the focus on protecting that personal data field that a customer, a consumer, or business partner, or employee entrusts to us. On day-to-day priorities, those are detailed out by the intake of questions. And with that, I mean, in innovations, there is something like a privacy quick scan, where in the very early stage, of an innovation, our teams across the globe seek contact to ask, hey, what is the impact of this initiative towards privacy? And if there is an impact, what do I need to consider? Um, How do I build in by design principles? And by design principles are then on security, on privacy, on compliance, and really guide them through that journey. And periodically, of course, it's, uh, it's reporting out. So on a quarterly basis, At the beginning of each quarter, I have a peak in ensuring that leadership knows what the status is of the KPIs that we agree to, reviewing our policies and procedures, adapting to new legislation across the globe. And that, I think, makes it a very diverse working week, all in all. Not sure if that gives a bit of insights of what I'm doing, because I realize I remain a bit fluffy, but that's because it's so much interesting stuff that is brought to our attention. Yeah, I mean, I think I know the answer to this one, but like at a real baseline level, why does it matter? Why is privacy important? 
Yeah, why privacy is important is because we as a company find the protection and the respecting of human rights and basic principles as protecting your individual rights, your freedom rights, really important. Acting with integrity is part of our DNA. I, I cannot think on how to explain that differently. And because we have that as part as our, of our company DNA, protecting of personal data becomes more and more relevant in our digitalized world. If we look at how our company is developing, if it's digitalizing consumer interfaces, customer interfaces, our own internal ways of working, with digitalization, you come across the fact that you need to log into something, you need to administrate something. And with that, Signify gets data. And if that data then also holds that connection to personal data, it becomes relevant. And, and I think that's what's coloring the importance of a privacy program in lines of our compliance programs. So I understand that and of course, because Signify, you know, at Signify, we always act with integrity. And so it's really important that we treat sensitive information with integrity and we look after it. So, and, and that's what you do. And I understand that. What do you think the overall impact is on the business and on our customers in terms of how we treat that relationship? I think you then need to, and especially in my view, think beyond concepts like privacy protection. You need to start thinking about protection of data as a whole. And with us being a significant player in, in the lighting industry, but also in the IoT industry, we need to start realizing even more so that with all the data that we have as a company, we are able to drive analysis, we are able to drive insights, and we should do that in the same concept of protection, integrity, and fairness, which means that you could use that data while still living up to your commitment of trust and not abusing that data. But you need to be more mindful, or perhaps not more mindful, that, that's, that's the incorrect word. You need to be mindful in a different way because you're looking at new types of risks, looking at the size of data that we have and that will grow over time. You, are, you were granted that data in a specific context and with the technology at that moment in time, that was perfectly fine. But with evolving technology in new innovations in emerging technology, like for instance, AI, you need to start asking your questions, are those insights really those insights that I that I am aiming for? Or become, are those insights unethical? Because I look at a historical data set with insights of year to date, which are leading to a discrepancy. And all those types of things are, I think, also equally important of our, our company's journey. And I think that's why as part of our digitalization, we're talking about data integrity, data ethics, because that helps the company in becoming mindful of dilemmas and avoiding dilemmas and avoiding risk to it. So I'm fascinated. And I also think I only kind of understand. So that's, but the question I have, because you talked about treating data or, you know, something is created at a period in time and then 10 or, you know, three years later, the situation has changed and the technology has changed. And so maybe the way that we treat the data needs to change. 
And I think that's fascinating because, of course, the the rate that technology is developing is is increasing. And, of course, we're innovation-focused. So I'm wondering if you can give an example, not necessarily from within Signify, but, you know, more broadly, where the change of technology impacted the way that data was viewed or treated or created a, a an ethical quandary maybe that needed to be solved. Yeah, I think with that, just looking at some recent publications of the big tech companies that were investing heavily in face recognition software, for instance, all developed with the greater good of making certain processes easier, uh, making people feel comfortable while that technology was used. But in hindsight, they needed to realize that that same technology developed for the greater good of things with solid and positive focus was starting to be used by, let's say, democracies or companies for different purposes. And with that, there was a fear of creating bias and a fear of discrimination because of social or ethnicity or economic reasons. And for that, those programs have been stopped for at least what we read from uh, from newspapers for, for, for reasons that those companies felt that they could not longer support the technology as they have developed it. So the technology development in itself went through lots of assessments, but then it went into a marketplace where it was continuously followed. And uh, from newspapers, we need to understand that those companies felt uncomfortable going forward with keeping that technology available to market players. And I think that's also part of that uh, that data ethics discussion and being busy with sustainable innovation. Let me, and let me just think if I understand that. So facial recognition software, which is developed and, and people at the forefront creating this is fascinating and we're unlocking all of these these cool applications and, you know, let's uh, make this available to, to other partners or to, you know, to sell it and then realizing, yeah. oh, I'm not okay with how they're using it because it, it seems yeah. unethical. Uh, yeah, it could, because it's true. I, I don't feel like I hear that much about facial recognition software. I feel like it was a buzz for, for a while and it's yeah. like not so much anymore. Not nowadays, I think. And I think things go in waves because people anticipate, interpret it, uh, people get common to new technologies and new usage. But still within that whole wave of emotions and, and realities, realities by, given by regulatory frameworks or realities given by, by technology, there's still that big question that you still need to answer as a company do we want to do this if it's allowed and if it's technically possible? And that that question needs to be answered on the based on what for what purposes were we are we here? For what purposes are people doing business with us and do we want to do business with them? So it all comes down to trust and trustworthiness. And if we think along those lines, um, I truly believe that you contribute to making the right decisions in your technology and in your go-to-market concepts. It's, it's interesting because, you know, the discussion is, is about privacy and security, but really about ethics mm. as well, which yeah. is a, a philosophical 
concept as well, right? Because you, yeah. you, I see you smiling. Or do you have a philosophy background, or do you spend some time, you know, sort of discussing the the actions <laughs> of ethics and you know in your in your office as well? Nah, I I have a law and economics background, but I'm all since the start of that, I've always been intrigued by how businesses contribute to uh, economies and how businesses are successful if they have trust and if they continue to act in accordance with that trust. And because I have a passion for IT, the concept of data came to mind quite early in my uh, in my professional career. And I always started to think about if data is given to you as a company or given to you as an individual, you have the power to decide what you do with it. And you do that either in a good and in a solid and in a fair manner, or you're going to do the extra mile and being extremely flexible on what you think is possible yes or no so in that sense yes it's a bit philosophical but i really think that you are in control about your actions and not over romanticizing that those actions are governed by law by technology and by the concept of an integrity code and and a vision and the means of acting in accordance with that can we just talk for a second because yeah that we talk about okay being really rigid and strict with yeah. the the data which I, I i know we are and then you talk about being maybe a little bit flexible and then i know this has come up so i just want to uh get your take on it but when we think of a few years ago well you know in 2016 when it was the the cambridge analytica and facebook i was like i know this is <laughs> these concepts are familiar to me for some reason i'm like oh of course because what people did if you know, if I understand and remember correctly, was they willingly gave these this company or these companies their data without understanding the implications of what was there yeah. and allowing the company to act in a way that I think is, I, well, I don't know, is it un, unethical? I think maybe, but it, it's certainly a gray area. So I just want to get your thoughts on that because that's something probably everyone yeah. can relate to. Yeah, I think... At the end, if you look at the, the Facebook complexity at the moment, being Facebook user myself as well, and perhaps that's cursing in some, in some ways for privacy professionals, but Facebook was developed as a social media interaction platform where people across the globe could remain in contact. With that, it was easy access. And I think the consumer or the users of that platform were also under the impression that it was used to remain in contact with friends or relatives across the globe. With that positioning as a company, you could not say that that company was entitled to draw analytics from it for the purpose of perhaps commercializing their platform. As I've never worked in Facebook, I don't know what their journey has been, but as a consumer, it, it, it's triggering a concern and an ethical concern. Thinking more in current dialogues where I'm challenging myself uh, sometimes on is the question if you have access without uh, paying for access. You're, then you have certain people that say you're paying because you're giving your personal data or you're giving your data to that party and you should not be surprised that that party is using that. And, and 
I'm still in doubt of what I find about that view because the fact that I'm giving something from me because I like to view a video on a on a video platform if it's free or if it's not free that that doesn't that should not mean that that company could use my personal data if it's my email or if it's the analytics of what I'm liking or disliking when I'm using that platform to someone else just for the single fact that I haven't paid to get access to and that that's I think something bringing it into what type of dilemmas do we face or what type of how simple it is to think about things like data ethics and what do you think about uh, being a trusted partner it's these simple questions that uh, that i think many of us have on multiple places but these questions make it easier for me to think about protection of data in a broader sense than just privacy now when we think about data and data ethics and privacy mm-hmm. and our customers do yeah. do you think or or what is the biggest area of work or concern for you is that in in terms of our our partnerships and on on a professional level or is it more about the the individuals and the people who are you know interacting with the the IoT you know where is the bigger mm-hmm. area of work yeah for me the biggest area of work is understanding the technology that is brought to us and how that technology is beneficial to to signify, but how that technology could also be beneficial to our trusted partners. And I think that's important to emphasize that we as a company, we are very careful in selecting our business partners. um, And that also means that we have faith and trust in them and that they contribute to our commitment towards our customers. But there for me is the biggest challenge because technology, as you mentioned, is evolving so quickly uh, so that we constantly need to assess because I like to avoid the word monitoring because that sounds negative but I think we constantly need to assess if that technology and our use is still in in accordance with our understanding and if we feel comfortable with it and if we can continue to explain it in our communications. Well it's clear that this is an ongoing matter that is becoming increasingly important so it's really Mm -hmm. great for me to hear that that you are so engaged and involved and we you know it doesn't surprise me that we're looking after it but it's great to hear that you're so on top of it what i want to do now and we can come back to the we can come back to the topic of data ethics at the end but before we wrap up i want to ask you some questions that have nothing to do with privacy and data ethics and that kind of thing Ah. the the five alternative questions section Marjolein, are you are you okay with this? Yes, let let's do this. <laughs> Great. So, what is your favorite food, and what memories do you have around it? Oh, that the oh, whole that's a difficult one because I'm absolutely a foodie. <laughs> There's. There's nothing that I dislike, <laughs> but oh, making a choice, making a choice. I think it's oysters. And my memory brings me back to when I was, I think, 10 years. And I was camping with my parents in France, in, in Normandy, and they felt it, it was the right time that their kids, and I have a brother and a sister that are younger than me, would experience 
fresh fish and especially clams, oysters, uh, crab and those types of things. I remember sitting in a harbor looking at the tremendous platter that was served and my apple juice Oysters and apple juice don't go necessarily <laughs> together. I've tried it when I was an adult. Um, but the, that first bite, I think I love the scenery more than the taste. But it, um, it planted a seed. And over time, I really started enjoying. And I think one of the things that I currently have with that memory is if I want to celebrate something positive or I want to get out of a negative at the end of a work week, I treat myself to a, a, a pair of oysters. And uh, if I really want to indulge myself, I'll ask my husband to prepare them because then I can just sit back and relax. But the reality of the matter is that I then need to clean them myself, but it's a joyful <laughs> moment in time. Oh, great. You're making me, it's it's 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't Talking mind. About you know? 9.30 in the <laughs> yeah. morning, it's going to be a long day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Now, you, you mentioned being a foodie. What's another hobby or interest outside of work that you have? I love cooking and especially exploring the uh, Italian and the Asian kitchen. So um, um, you cannot see it, but I'm in my, my working office, in my home office, and I have a big cupboard with a lot of cookbooks. And that's that's one of the things that, that really energized me uh, on Thursday evening. Start looking at what recipes I could try out in the weekend and relax. And I think the other thing that I really like doing is, uh, is skiing and, uh, and playing music. I picked up playing the flute again. I've done that when I was little, but uh, with uh, the new reality that we're facing, I thought let's self-tutor myself in something that I liked in the past. And I must say it's enjoying again. Oh, that's great. I think a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm going to pick up an instrument or I'm going to get back into doing this now that I'm spending so much time at home. It's great to meet someone yeah. who actually did it. You just need to do it. The tip is uh, get your neighbors on par with the ID or get to a cellar where there's a bit of uh, noise cancellation because I must admit the first few weeks were horrible, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Right on. And I'm allowed to go out of the cellar when I'm practicing. So I think that's also a compliment to my practice. Oh, you, you've graduated from the... <laughs> yeah, in my view, I did. I have only my direct uh, household members to uh, to applaud me. but um, So there is a bit of bias. Right. But, uh, I think I graduated uh, yeah, to second grade. Yeah, well, if they let you out of the cellar, that's, uh, that's certainly something to be celebrated with some oysters. <laughs> I mean, do you have any pets? Yes. We have two rabbits. Yeah. And and what are their names? Oh, putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's Kabeltje. Oh, blanking all their names. How horrible! I'm going I, to be punished. I can edit this evening. out. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at their cages at the moment. It's Kabeltje, and I come back to that and, other one and the because other one. I'm now too focused. <laughs> well, at least we know which which rabbit is your favorite. So that uh... yeah, that's true. Yeah. What is a book that either business related or 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 not that you recommend more than more than others? I'm not the biggest reader, if I uh, if I need to be very honest, uh, because I read a lot during the day. But what I really enjoy reading are books with an historical connotation. So what I can advise, just out of the box is a cartoon series called Van Nul Tot Nu. I know it's Dutch, 
Um, but it's uh, it's a series of I think six cartoon books now, and they've made a cartoon out of the history from the prehistorics up till now. And um, I think two years ago they issued a new issue with all the things that happened in let's say the 19th and the 20th century. And it's really interesting because you get the historics in a funny way, but it, it yeah it. I like reading those and and also be reminded that things are because we went through a journey. So I have a couple more questions. You're the first person I've tried this with, but there's some good questions here. Yeah. So, uh, Marjolein, what is a country or a culture that you wish you knew more about? I think Belgium. Yeah, should I give you a reason as well? Yeah, oh, yes. Because uh, it's Sorry. supposed to bring us to a deeper conversation. <laughs> yes. What is a country or culture you wish you knew more about and why? Yeah, okay, I've, I've not listened to the and why. No, no, no it, it wasn't there Bel- the first time. Sorry, it, I, I just yeah. added it now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's it's Belgium because I um, it's a country where you have uh, the Flemish, the French... Also, um, I think still some some German-speaking Belgian people and the diversity that that nation, that that country has, it's intriguing and um, how it works, but also how it doesn't work. And I think that that's important to understand both because it would help me in understanding um, people or dynamics better. I lived in Brussels for three years and yeah, I experienced firsthand some of the some of the the highs and the lows let's say yeah but brussels is a beautiful city it is it is really a beautiful city and a lovely time overall (laughs) what do you want to accomplish before the year ends and what's stopping you Uh, personally i would like to feel a bit more balanced in the current work-life situation And what's stopping me? Lack of my own discipline. I think uh, each week I set myself the target to stop at a certain hour on the day. And each week I need to acknowledge that I failed in completing at least five times that uh, that exercise. But I'm, I'm getting there in the sense that now I see each day as a new challenge. And then I applaud myself if it worked. And if it didn't, I'll pick the next day to try again. That resonates with me. I I think I could ask you uh, lots more, and especially now that I have this deck of cards. But I'm, I think I'll, I will end the five alternative questions there because I think I got lots of good stuff. Just want to give you the opportunity to mention anything that you feel that we didn't touch on or something you just want to reinforce about digital ethics. I think that we've touched a lot, but what I really like to reinforce as a summary is that with digital ethics, we as a company are able to promote our responsible and sustainable use of the data that we have been given for the benefit of the people, for the benefit of society, and with that, for the benefit of the company. I think with that, we are in control of the judgments that we make with those data insights that uh, that we 
are give, that we are entrusted with and it allows us to take actions that are appropriate and good in our entire digital journey. So not solely in our customer and consumer interfacing activities, but also in our internal uh, journey on digitalization uh, and in the innovation of products and services. So for me, data ethics is our commitment to uh, being a sustainable, innovative partner towards the, towards the future. Well, that's a perfect ending right there. That's a that's a wonderful bow, I think, on this on this interview. So let me just say, Marieline, thank you so much for your time. I had a I had a wonderful chat and I will this episode will be up very soon. So thank you very much. Well, that was my conversation with Marieline Wachemans, Signify's Chief Privacy Officer. I hope you got a better understanding of privacy, security, and trust, and all the other associated components of this incredibly relevant and fast-moving area, and I know you did. If you want to reach out to Marieline on, on LinkedIn, do so. You can also maybe guess the name of her second rabbit, or try, or drop her an email. And speaking of emails, if you're enjoying this podcast, don't keep that to yourself. Email us at podcasts at signify.com and or Tell someone you know to have a listen. Speaking of Signify is executive produced and hosted by me, Ryan Miller. The entire Speaking of Signify team includes Iman Faruqi, Martin Kottmeyer, and Fanny Kovacs. And we get production assistance and thoughtful steerage from Lloydie James Lloyd and Jonathan Gruber. The music is by Sasha Hudemacher. So that's the end of this episode of Speaking of Signify. We'll be back soon with another one when once again, we'll be speaking of Signify. <laughs>